This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back, guys. DJS and KMOX. Happy Friday. Uh, Mark Marin is at Helium tonight and tomorrow. Shows at 7.30 p.m. and 10 p.m. Uh, I'm going to assume you know Mark, uh, but if you Let, don't, not <laughs> check him out. Uh, really, man, sounds uh, so... Uh, Ask Kizzy, but what a career. I mean, you've really kind of done most everything in entertainment at this point. I have, uh, you know, and uh, totally under the radar, which is exactly how I wanted. If I could just <laughs> you were not sne- be you were known sneaky. by my, most you were people, sneaky. I can still walk down the streets, <laughs> and, you know, one out of two people will know me. One out of three. <laughs> like that, I used to do, uh, I used to talk about on stage how the level of my popularity is if I see, like, three dudes walking up to me. You know, one guy will be like, oh, my God, Mark Maron. And the other two will be like, no, no, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So that's about one out of three is what I'm batting. That's great. Yeah. So not to start on a a down note. It's not a down note for me. It's an up note. (laughs) But your last special uh, where you talked about losing your partner. Yeah. um, I know that you didn't lose her to suicide, but I lost a brother to suicide. And there was something about that show. I've been a fan of yours for years, but something about that show that really triggered me in a very cathartic way. Oh, good. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, You know, it was a very challenging thing, and I've been always been a comedian that kind of deals experientially with what I go through on stage, and that was a devastating blow to to lose someone someone I loved tragically. And then I started to sort of process it on stage, like I do everything else. Uh, to, you know, sometimes for better or for worse, but it was interesting to workshop trying to frame that in comedy, you know, bits. Because at the beginning, when I started talking about that on stage, like it was touch and go, like I get choked up and it wasn't funny, but I was doing it at small venues where most of my fans were there. So it became sort of a support group situation. But then as time went on, I was able to find, because the grief, as you know, is ever present. And it changes as you get older, and it sort of is, it gets tempered. But it's always you can sort of tap into it. Yeah, it's like anger for certain people. But uh, but then to create a level of comedy that goes along with it and also honors the grief was was tricky. And yeah. I think that the fact is, it's not really part of the public conversation. It's not something people are comfortable of talking yeah. talking about. I don't think many people process their grief properly. So the experience of talking about it and being funny and being darkly funny provided, I think, a lot of relief for people and yeah. gave a voice to something because you, no one knows how to talk about that. And if you're in a social group or you're on the radio, like if you know if you came in one morning and was just sort of like, "I'm not good, man. My you know my mom died. I don't know what we're going to talk about." 
in, and I imagine the rest of you would be like, um, okay, okay so <laughs> you want yeah. me to go now? You Ratings know. aren't exactly shooting up, yeah. yeah. But yeah, because it's heavy, but there's nothing more common. Absolutely. That's the weirdest thing about, you start to realize that the experience of tragically losing somebody That's or right. losing somebody, it's not like people are like, no, nah, it's never happened to me. Yeah. It's going to happen to everybody, and, and, and it's not... People are nervous about it, and I think that's what drives our economy. Yeah, most of (laughs) How do I not think about this? (laughs) What can I buy to make me not think about that? Yeah, what can I distract myself with? So I've always thought of you, uh, maybe from the podcast, just as being as much of a a thinker as a comedian. And I know that you're not a set-up, punchline, set-up, punchline guy. Were you ever that early on? Did you try to do that? Well, I will, I'll push back a little bit in that uh, I think if you listen to the, if you watch that special again, it's pretty punchline efficient. Uh, they they're not in the form of joke joke joke, but every story is layered with you know there are laughs you know every you know thirty to forty five seconds. It's in there, so it's just I'm a long form comic, right? I've written, there are jokes that I've written that uh, you, they, they, they come to me. I, I don't sit down and write jokes. Some guys do that. So, you know, you get the guys like Norm McDonald or Attell or, you know, Hedberg or whatever. These guys are they're literally doing almost math. You know, they're balancing words. There's a twist. And then, you know, they just load it up with their tone. And occasionally those kind of jokes will come come to me. Like, and, I, and I'll do them for a little while, but I get bored of them. Like, I, I did a joke. I'm doing a joke about how... Uh, how I just I just outward, outwardly say I just say I'm not I'm not happy, and I and I don't I'm not sure I can identify happiness really because I had this thing happen to me where I I was changing my cat's water I'm not bragging but I, I was changing my cat's water and one of my AirPods fell into the water so I had the same experience everyone did, everyone does it's like oh my god I pull it out of the water I'm blowing it I'm rubbing it on my pants and I stuck it back in my ear and and it worked and I, I don't think I've ever experienced that kind of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was really like everything's turning around, you know. Yeah, we're all about maybe, maybe fascism won't win, and the earth will cool down. <laughs> so structurally, that's a joke. Yeah, and that uh, you know, uh, uh, and there's a joke in that in that special actually that I'd only done like twice, and I, I'm I'm not even sure how I phrased it, but it was it was the transition from the first chunk of the special, which was mostly mostly social commentary. I, it's definitely was arranged in almost a three-act structure where I'm going to get into the grief stuff. And I talk about, you know, the, the day Lynn died as being, uh, you know, just the, the worst day of my life. And, and then I say, and I'm sure for her too. And it's like a callous joke, <laughs> but it's sort of a one-liner. And, I, and when I did it, and even when I watched it, I'm like, wow. But it set the stage for people to be comfortable with what I'm about to go into. Yeah. It, it yeah, shifted yeah. the gear. So I do do jokes like that. Speaking of the math, <clears throat> when you just said that, it, it kind of hit me because I do live comedy shows as well, but I'm not a stand-up. I just got the balls to do it a few years ago. Yeah. I do it a few times a year. Yeah. And what you just said struck me that that joke is so dark yet impossible to not laugh at. Right. It, it, it's something organic. It's something right. in your brain yeah. that you don't have control over. It's a twist, yeah. It's a, that you just yeah. you, you can't you can't help but laugh at that. Well, that's the I think that's the the great thing about comics and why, you know, some guys, look, I envy joke guys and I don't like I I do think that I do jokes and I do think I know how to pace things with punchlines, but when you really watch a guy that is constantly twisting jokes, like, Attell is a great example. Dave Attell is one of the greatest joke writers in the world. And, and as a performer and a character, he's, he's, he's 
100% the real deal. But you can watch him, and you don't know where any of those jokes are going ever. And that's that's the surprise of it. So there's that jarring kind of like, there's no way you could have saw it coming. Yeah. And also it kind of makes you look at things differently. Like That was, I think, what inspired me originally to do comedy was I'd watch these comics when I was a kid, and they were able to talk about anything and make me understand it or disarm the things that seemed, you know, overwhelming. It was a gift, and it was sort of, I think, why I wanted to do it. Yeah. So you obviously have done stand-up yeah. and were one of the first podcasters I knew of yeah. and uh, and acted in many different genres in, in film and, and in series. What that you have done so far, would you say, really stretched your hamstrings the most, where you're like, this is not comfortable for me. I need to, I need to really try. This right now is <laughs> really I'm just I'm the Inquisition. I'm pretending, you know. I, 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 uh, well, I, I think that uh, you know, well, doing my own show that uh, is is hard to find. That's always good to have four seasons of a series that has your name on it. And when people go, where can I watch it? And I go, like, I'm not even sure anymore. <laughs> uh, I think you, I think you, if you go to iTunes, you, you can, come to my place. Can, I don't know. Rent it. It was on Netflix for a little while, but I think only three seasons. I don't know. How you're going to see the ending. That was challenging in one way, but I kind of knew what I was up against. But I think as an actor, because yeah, I don't really consider myself one, and I didn't really pursue it most of my career, uh, I always wanted to do it. And, and it turns out I can do all right, basically. Like, I think I did all right with Glow, and I think I did do some acting. But you get to a point where people are like, you know, we just want you to... Like, this is what happens. Like, I did... Um, I put all this preparation... Like, I, I got offered this Christmas movie... That's going to be out somewhere at Christmas. It's a Melissa McCarthy movie. And it was just a small part. Uh, this is not answering the question, but it's just interesting to me. It's a small part. It's a, kind of a fantasy Christmas story about a guy who whose life is falling apart. And, you know, he has a, an antique business or he works at a museum and he has this, you know, this thing that opens and, and Melissa comes out. And she's, you know, been alive forever. Something like that. And they offer me this doorman part, which is just this cameo but it's you know he's always there and there's bits to be had and uh and i took it because i'm like who doesn't want to spend like a few days with melissa mccarthy <laughs> like the funniest person alive i'm gonna go sit sit around melissa mccarthy but i put a backstory in place for this guy and you know i thought about who he was and what kind of door guy he would be i've lived in new york but as soon as i get on set the director's like yeah just improvise just do some funny stuff i'm like oh you mean just be me okay <laughs> so to get away from that i did that two leslie movie i don't know if you saw that yeah, that, yeah. so that was a, a that's a heavy movie, and you know I play a supporting role to an actress who is like I I didn't know at the time it's like one of the great actresses, like one of my Andrew, favorites, Andrea Riceboro, right? And and I turned that movie down two or three times, dude. I I mean the this director wouldn't leave me alone, and it was in the middle of COVID, and and I looked at the script, I'm like, there's like a dozen guys <laughs> in Hollywood that could play. There's a dozen half cowboys with heart. That could do this part. What did John Hawks turn this down? <laughs> who turned it down to where you ended up yeah. with me? You know. So and goes, if I said no, who do you go to next? Well, yeah, but he kept coming, right? And I'm like, it's just I don't know what why yeah. he wants me. No one wants to do this part. And then somehow he enlisted Chelsea Handler to get in touch with me because they knew each other. So I get this text from Handler, and she's like, I, you need to talk to my friend Michael Morris because he wants you in this movie. And you don't want to piss her off. You know, the last thing you want is Chelsea Handler upset with you. So. I call this guy and I said, well, what, why me? And then he said, I watched the last season of Marin. I'm like, where'd you find it? Because so, uh, there's a lot of people that want to watch that show. I'd like to know how it's available. But, but he thought that my emotional spectrum in that was what, and I, and yeah. that, so I believed him. 
And then I told him, like, I can't do the accent. And uh, he's like, don't worry about the accent. But then I got hung up on it. So that was really the most, uh, the biggest risk I took. And and the only reason I took it was I figured no one's going to see this movie. It's, you know, it's a small movie and they just disappear. And I just interviewed James Caan, right? And I was watching real old James Caan stuff. And there's a movie called The Rain People that Coppola directed. It's one of his first movies. And James Caan plays this kind of like brain damaged, you know, guy at a college who used to be a football player at the college, but now he's just the guy with the broom, right? And he's doing an accent and he's not doing it well. And then then I watched a few other Westerns with him and he's kind of half in and out. I'm like, you know what? Just take a shot. I mean, if, if the emotional stuff is there, you'll be forgiven for the accent. So take a shot. So this is funny, and you'll get it because you're an old guy like me. So I, I, I meet with this dialect coach, and I'm like, we've got to do Texas. And she goes, well, there's some, there's really not a Texan accent, uh, but there are many different kind of dialects that mm-hmm. happen. And she goes, I think we're going to do Lubbock. And I'm like, great. How do we do that? And she goes, well, I'll make you a key. So they give you, like, how to pronounce things in lubbock ease. But then she gives me these video links, and I'm like, what is this? Is there, like, video links to the Lubbock guy, uh, the Lubbock <laughs> accent? And I click on the video, and it's just sort of in-house, you know, Grammy uh, interviews with Mac Davis. Do you remember Mac Davis? Yeah. The, uh, oh, my the God. The songwriter? My whole childhood. <laughs> right. Right, baby, baby, don't get hooked yeah, on me. Bobby uh, you know. Goldsboro. Right. So so apparently this guy is the 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 preeminent example of a Lubbock speaker. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I watched him, and, I, and it is subtle, and, you know, I did the best I could. But I think that... In terms of, of things that I was nervous about, yeah, I wasn't nervous about working with her or doing the part. It was the middle of COVID. He shot it on film in 19 days. There were no takes wow. to be had. Wow. So, you know, you were doing one or two takes and we're moving. And I didn't really have any concept of who she was. But I also knew that the nature of the movie was about an alcoholic. And, and I knew that it was her movie. So when I got there, I'm sort of like, well, I'm here to support her as an actor and also as a codependent. Character-wise, I'm also here to support her. So everything sort of came together and I just engaged with her. But it was sort of funny because, you know, I I feel good about the performance. But my buddy Steve was watching it. He said he went to a screening and he he knew I was in it. But I'm not in it till like the like the second, the third, last third of the movie. So he's just watching Andrea tear the screen up just like, oh, my God. And he said, like, I was worried. I was worried. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) he's dreading seeing you. He's like, what the hell is Mark going to do? I mean, I know Mark. And then he watched, he said, you know, you did it. You did all right. And he said, was it like being in the ring with Tyson? And I'm like, well, I, I think I would have fared worse. But uh, but I get your analogy. Yeah. So had you known how good she was and have you had that experience like being a lifelong musician and an athlete? I know what it's like to be on stage or in a field with people who are just empirically better than me. Like, have you had that experience where it got in your head? Well, not really, because, like, I interview half these people. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of realize, like, they're just people. Mm-hmm. And also, all the things I learned about acting was from prodding actors. You know, like, they, I've, I've gotten little bits of advice here and there from the great actors, really. Shakespearean guys, you know, old Is it all simpler than we think? Like huh? most things? Just it's, like when you talk to a great actor and they say, here's what it is. Is it simpler than we try to make it in our heads? Well, I think there is a craft to it, and you have to integrate that through working it and, and figuring out how to lose yourself. You know, so, And I think a lot of it is just a gift. I mean, some people just look good on camera, and it's, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. Uh, but, but I think some, it's really up to you, you know, what's going to get you there. You, you know, a lot of people have a hodgepodge of things. Most of them, they've taken some advice. They do backstories. They do sense memory. I remember I asked Paul Dano, I was like, uh, because I remember when I went to college, I took an acting class and I, and I said to him, I said, it's a very abstract acting question. I said, do you ever do animal work? 
and which is where you try to embody an animal. And and he took a beat and he goes, I do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I nailed it. I'm like, what'd you do for this one? He's like, a, a penguin. I worked with a penguin. So, I'm just picturing his mannerisms for that answer. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. good Paul Dano. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, but, but, like, I did that scene with De Niro, you know, and uh, in The Joker, and it was one of those things where I show up on set and Todd Phillips, he, you know, he wanted me to do it. So I'm, I'm playing the producer of the TV show that mm -hmm. De Niro's the host of. And I, it was very funny because I met Robert De Niro and, you know, he's kind of soft spoken and I tried to have a conversation with him. It was OK. But then I realized, like, how many guys has he met that's doing the three line part over the history? Like, I'm sure that Robert De Niro has to this day no idea who I was. I'd have to remind him. But it was a scene we th that was cut out where we do a walk and talk, you know, where we're talking about the show and whatever. And we just got right into it. You know, we, you know, you, I, I got on set and uh, I said, I'm ready. And, and Todd goes, you guys want to just shoot one? And I'm like, yeah. So I'm amped up. I've been in the trailer all day. Right. So I, I do the walk and talk. I'm walking down the hall with De Niro and I'm going at him and we're doing it. And like, and it's engaged. And I'm, I'm acting with De Niro. And then so I cut and I'm like, all right, all right, one down. Right. <laughs> so I go back to my chair and De Niro goes across the way to his chair. And I see De Niro get up and he walks over to Todd, the director. They talk. De Niro walks back to his chair and then Todd starts walking towards me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, hey, you're coming in a little hot. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta remember, like, you know, De, De Niro's your boss, you know. So, but I respected him for doing yeah. it through the proper channels. But I'm like, yeah, awesome. I get it, I get it. You're right. I was just excited. I was just excited. Yeah. So we're already past time, but Wheels, I know you're a big fan of Marks. Any question you got? No, you guys have nailed it, man. I, I always thought it was fascinating because I was a fan of the stand-up long before the podcast. Oh, and an then, early uh, and adapter. It, yeah, and when it was a transition, I was fascinated by how you decided you wanted to go ask people questions. I, I don't know that I did. It's just yeah. the way it unfolded. It just turned out so. It's an interesting thing because people like me. I went to journalism school, right? I, you know, I thought about asking questions, but yeah. that transition from oh, telling well, jokes and being funny and acting to that was was fascinating. Well, to me. the interesting thing about about being a stand up is that if you don't become a successful stand up in terms of making a living, there's really only a few jobs open to you in show business. Either you can be a writer. Or, you know, or you can maybe act on a TV show, but that's a, a point of success. But hosting is a comic's job on television historically, right? I wasn't really thinking about that when I did it. Really, what I was doing was it was a Hail Mary pass, dude. I, you know, my, my, I had no draw. My, my career was in the garbage. I was just gone through my second divorce, and I was sitting in that garage wondering, should I put a gun in my mouth? And somehow or another, I decided on a microphone. So when we had the medium, but if you listen to the first hundred or so episodes, a lot of them are just me tr inviting comics over to apologize to them <laughs> for things that I thought I did. You're kind of right. Yeah, yeah they yeah, were great it, too, by really, the way. Like the, the format of my hosting is really based on the idea that I'm going to invite famous people over to talk about my problems. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it kind of evolved from there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Mark is going to be at Helium tonight and tomorrow, seven thirty p.m., ten p.m. Uh, tickets. Yeah, they're around. Way? Yeah, I mean the late shows are definitely pretty open. There's a few for the early shows. Sure. Very good. I, I'm not a huge draw in St. Louis, <laughs> but good enough. They'll, you'll you won't feel alone. A lot of fun. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Nice meeting. Nice meeting you. Welcome back, guys. DGS 440. That was fun with Mark Maron, huh? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, you've been a fan much longer Long than you've been Long time. I mean, you know, it's not one of those things where I'm going to follow him around on tour, but I've seen him live. I've listened to a lot of his, I've seen all his stand-up specials, and um, I didn't watch the TV show, but I mean, I've listened to so many of the podcasts. Yeah. Uh, Stairway to Kevin. 
All right, let, let's tie this into sports because there's a, you know the Cardinals are coming up tonight. Um, they'll be playing against Philadelphia down the road at Bush Stadium, and it's a home series. Obviously, it's you know a tough time of year, but you can go to the ball game and experience it. You can experience it at home, watching on TV, experience it at home on the road, wherever, listening on KMOX. On Wednesday, there's an experiment going on with the Angels and the Rays where they're going to play a game where fans at home can experience the game in virtual reality, where it's going to be kind of video game looking cartoonish, but it took me to a place that what if you can get to a point with the tech here in the not too distant future where you can put the goggles mm. on at home and watch the game at home as if you're sitting in a seat mm-hmm. at the ball game. Mm-hmm. One, that's probably not the greatest thing. I'm sure owners aren't really thrilled about right. that idea unless it comes with a cost, yeah. which I'm sure it would. How do you guys feel about that potential of being, oh, and not just for sports. I'm thinking of it because this is a baseball story. Yeah. What if you could do that for being in, being in the cockpit with an astronaut? What if you could do that in any other real life scenario and have the VR goggles that make it seem like you're there? So if it were, uh, Hey, put on these goggles and you're going to get a 80% uh, accurate experience of being on the space shuttle. I'm in. Yeah. But if it's an 80% experience of being at a ball game, I'm out because I see what you mean, yeah. Because to me the uncanny valley thing, like people's eyes on uh, 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 Polar Express and stuff freak me out. So the more normal it is, the less I want to do yeah, it. Yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, makes yeah. total sense. But what if I said you could put the goggles on and it you would you would you would get the exact same visual experience of the people climbing Mount Everest. Oh, I'm in. Like if they had a cam on there, you yeah. know, they, whatever the tech would be to make it look like you're there. Yes. Because now you can do the GoPros. It doesn't really look like you're there. But if there was a way to do that through the, the better cameras or the CPU processing. I mean, there's some already. Like on TikTok every now and then I'll, I'll run across one that's like a, a person on a mountain bike. That's doing yeah, something I love very those. precarious. Yeah, I can't watch them. Oh, I love those because even at that level of reality, it, it it makes my stomach jump. You know what's weird about that? It compared to doing those things in real life is the lack of control. That's a good point. Like when you're on the bike, you feel in control of a bike or whatever you're doing. But when you're watching somebody, like I feel that way sometimes with the parkour guys, where I would love to see what that looks like from their perspective, and and you can get it a little bit. But the idea of the VR is it's all around you. Like you can see not just this little straight ahead camera shot, but you feel like you're surrounded by it, like you're in the middle of it. I I feel like that's going to be a huge part of the entertainment evolution in the next 10 years. I think you're right. The sad part, though, would be if people no longer left their house. That's the worry, because I still don't think there's ever going to be anything better than being there, right? But being at a ball game is pretty easy. Being on the top of Mount Everest is a little different. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.